On today's episode of T-10, you'll hear from Amir Bazarzadeh, founder and CEO of the VR for Brain Health company, Virtual Leap, and how he believes VR games designed to help train your cognitive skills can even be used to help improve cognitive assessment. And if you or your kids happen to have a VR headset floating around at home, you can check out Virtual Leap's brain training program called Enhance, which trains cognitive skills like spatial orientation, memory, problem solving, and motor control. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Amir. Amir, so good to finally have you on this show. Good to see you again. It's been a few years in the making for us. Uh, I am thrilled to have you on. I appreciate you joining me. Absolutely, Tim. Thank you for having me. Of course, my friend. Um, I want to start out with, because you are the first VR founder and someone who is also building at a few different intersections that we're familiar with here, um, I do want to have a chance for you to share kind of what you're working on, uh, what Virtual Leap is all about, and of course, just give the people an idea of where specifically you're focused these days and how you're going about it. Yeah, we're a company that really kind of fits within two intersections because primarily we're a virtual reality-based company that combines virtual reality with the neurosciences and specifically to introduce the new gold standard in cognitive assessment, cognitive monitoring, as well as cognitive therapeutics or cognitive training or what is, you know, for a couple of decades now popularized as brain training. This is a type of technology that is all about identifying a person's cognitive weaknesses, cognitive strengths, giving them real uh, sense of the cognitive landscape that defines them um, in so many uh, ways. I'm, I'm a huge fan in typology and, and our technology has been created by neuroscientists and then collaboratively with game developers designed in virtual reality to be a kind of a fun way to better know yourself, your cognitive uh, abilities, and um, potentially be able to also have a, a therapeutic side of it of, of, of kind of building on your weaknesses and, and, and being a more wholesome uh, individual. This is uh, this is definitely fascinating in an area that I'm trying to, to learn more about. I think um, listeners may be familiar with some of what you're saying since we had um, Henry Peck on from Altoida talking about some similar themes, though certainly going about it very differently. Uh, I also think it's important a lot of our listeners are clinicians who might be administering these tests on a day-to-day -day basis. So can you give people an understanding of how are these typically done? And it sounds like you're you're thinking of new ways of delivering these tests and making them perhaps more engaging, more effective, um, and then improving upon the results or finding ways to perhaps uh, improve upon cognitive ability or, or shorten decline, slow decline, et cetera. But give us an idea of, of what these tests measure typically and how they're done in practice the, the the first library that we've created for the last three years it took us until last summer to actually come out of stealth because we, we needed to create 15 of these mini games and we call them games but they're you know it's just easier to say that than you know gamified neuropsychological assessment tool but each one uh each of these these games um you know tie up to about 20 plus pages of, of research and design documentation in which our neuroscientists took, you know, uh, pre-existing neuroscience uh, research or um, uh, 
standardized neuropsychological assessment tools that, are, that serve as inspirations and created a short form, what we call closed loop game. So um, it's a type of assessment that is actually more for monitoring and therapeutics. And each one of these games is specifically targeting one of 22 different cognitive categories. So we don't just go into memory and problem solving, information processing, as well as because of the embodiment of VR, motor control, spatial orientation, spatial audio awareness, but we go into subcategories like short-term memory, working memory, long-term memory. And we've created a game scoring system that ultimately makes all of the, all of the performance metrics uh, objective um, as far as, as, as the way that we um, you know, analyze uh, what is the norms, what is the highs, what is the lows. Uh, it, it is designed particularly from the brain training side and it really required 15 minimum games before we actually could exhaust um, to the most preliminary levels uh, those 22 categories. But we are continuously building more. We are at the same time in parallel creating um, a one-time diagnostic or assessment module, we call it right now, that we'll be releasing uh, in beta by the end of this year. And so that will really pair with the monitoring and therapeutic games that you're supposed to use on a more or less daily basis versus the one-time snapshot that a neurologist or a psychiatrist or, or a clinician would, would execute um, not, not as regularly, like every three to six months. So, you know, the, the first part is over and it took about three years to complete. Um, it, it's not a, a short-term uh, road ahead of us uh, in the very least at all. Okay, so 15 modules, I can't even fathom as someone who has some understanding of how to build these modules. And I, under, I know there are three minutes, but I can't imagine the, the process of planning that goes into, okay, we are going to be in stealth for years building this initial suite of, of games. Um, I absolutely love that idea in the way that you're going about it because it resonates so much with uh, how we think about, or at least what I've learned from the people who have helped Icona in our building. I'm, I'm curious, I'd love for you to dig into uh, kind of the, the process. You mentioned someone is sifting through 20 pages, 22 pages of these assessments to then build a game, but that's, that is not an easy lift. Um, I'd love to know who's involved, like who are the types of minds and skill sets involved as kind of the first part of the question. And then secondly, when you go to market and you're having these conversations with potential customers, stakeholders, uh, how are you delivering the, the here is what we're aspiring to solve and what is the challenge you're trying to solve? There's a lot there, but really the end, I think you, the essence of what I'm trying to get at is who are the people who need to be in the room to build this thing that is innovative? And then how are you able to then make the next step, which is you're out of stealth, you have this initial set of 15 games, where do you begin? What is the, the workflow, the area that you, you start with to, to try to prove this out? In terms of the neuroscientist as the origin of everything, and that, that's the, you know, the God principle in, in, this, in this startup where that neuroscientist is the one who's researching um, ad infinitum exhaustively the neuroscience research literature and, and then develops this game design uh, document, that, which is what is the 20 plus pages um, document that reflects one of these modules. She, in this case, um, on our team, the, the lead neuroscientist is Victoria, right from the very beginning of our company, she's been the one leading in terms of 
documentation, um, designing the, the research and science side of, of the concept. And then right from that point off, she's going to start working collaboratively with a game designer, someone who is very familiar with 3D envi rendered environments, a Unity um, game developer. And together they start to play a tug of war in, in realizing that concept that is science-driven, that is data-driven, that is connected to a game scoring system called the Enhanced Performance Index. And they start to create something that is ultimately follows the rules and best practices of a closed loop design um, activity, which levels you off from lowest levels to higher levels, just like if you were to, I use the analogy of going to the gym. Um, you know, you wanna train your, your, your biceps or chest muscles. You have to use certain machines and you know what level of weights you can use and that's your plateau. These games are designed uh, in very much the same fashion to plateau um, at the level of difficulty that illustrates uh, your, your cognitive performance norm in that particular cognitive domain. And so it's really a multidisciplinary um, uh, relationship internally and virtually, but also we partner with a lot of leading neurologists and, and institutions, particularly in the US, especially in the early days. Um, you know, uh, people like Walter Greenleaf have, have gone through every one of our documentation. Of course, he's one of the you know, OGs of the, of the VR healthcare sector having been you know, dabbling and, and, and exhaustively working on applications like these um, since the 90s, along with other advisors like Skip, Albert Skip Rizzo of UCLA. Um, we would work very, very closely with a lot of these types of uh, people in the field or in academia, in the cl clinical side, um, to ensure that what we're doing at the concept phase or the, the alpha phase is abiding to what is wanted or needed in, in the field. In terms of how we approach working and finding people, you know, I, I've always found it more of an, uh, of an art than a, a, a marketing or sales or partnership strategy. You know, it's, it's always been trying to find out, you know, when we create a solution like this that is for cognitive assessment and cognitive health, you know, it really is agnostic, and, and from a from an investor point of view, you you want that you want to show them that you're so focused. And I certainly do have a a certain focus in my narrative, but you want to make your tool available for um, therapeutic areas across ADHD, traumatic brain injury, uh, uh, you know, chemo brain uh, rehabilitation from concussions in the field of athletics. I mean, ultimately. Um, you, you don't want to make your tools or your system or the games um, tailored too much for one particular use case. Um, and so what, what we have been doing is trying to find those gladiators, those champions in the academia that love what we're doing, have been looking for what we're doing. Like, you know, David Pennington of UCSF and the Addiction Research Program at the VA Healthcare System in San Francisco. You know, I, I emailed that, that, that gentleman a couple of years ago and he responds faster than lightning because he's been looking for us. And that's the partnerships that I try to work with because then we can create consortiums of, of believers in our reality distortion field that can try to apply our solution for the really important needs. But if you don't, if you try to focus too much on one particular therapeutic area, my experience, um, that could be the death knell for a company that's an emerging tech startup like ours um, that really does need um, you know, uh, believers, um, because our technology isn't mainstream. You know, it's going to take years across the consumer side or business side to, to find the mainstreamness. Our focus, I can tell you, is, is really to work with pharma companies uh, for a variety of use cases. I think we can support them in the most amazing ways. I think, um, you know, I can talk at infinitum of, of, of the 
ways that we can speed up clinical trials of CNS drugs, the way we can pair with uh, CNS drugs even that are out there in order to improve adherence levels and in, in order to even serve, uh, some pharma companies are even that open-minded that we could serve as a, you know, the video games as medicine uh, therapeutic area, the DTX world that um, Achille has just kind of blasted open for all of us. Um, but I do try to, from the point of view of partnerships, uh, really be open-minded to work with anyone across so many of these therapeutic areas. It's refreshing to hear that that you're you're building tools that you know are needed across the board. Um, I think that's that's a way that um, that we haven't. I think we we could do a better job of thinking about how to do that because we've been thinking about the approach and kind of as you well know, neuroscientists who then talk to clinicians, who then talk to the game developers and try to figure out the the approach and what is repeatable about it. How can we adapt this to other clinical states? And we've spent so much time getting to understand the clinical workflows within our particular area and how to support those teams. Because for us, it's about where does the device belong in this in this journey, right? Um, we we for us just as just part of our experience has been giving a device to whether the device is from one manufacturer or another, um, and regardless of form factor, we've gone with the middleware of the, the three dot because that is where we've seen the best bang for your buck. And I, I know you you have thoughts on six dot, three dot, and um, I would love to hear you talk for a minute about what your ideal scenario is for for the hardware user relationship, right? Is you, you mentioned pharma, you mentioned gaming. There's, uh, of course, these companies, for those who are not familiar with the Achilles model, not necessarily having VR in the mix. So when you think about virtually today and in the next few years, what is that potential relationship look like between the consumer or the end user and perhaps the partner? Is the intention to keep it open and just kind of see what, what works best and to remain adaptable? Or do you kind of have an idea of where you want to see that go based on what you're seeing in hardware trends and, and uh, demand trends for that matter? You know, I, I think <clears throat> I always feel like I, at the right time or the wrong time, I'll be forced out of the company because my approach is just too open-ended. Um, you know, the, the love, I so appreciate this, this uh, approach to focus. It's just when it comes to this technology and what it's become as my like baby, I just, I treat it so um, sentimentally in a way that I want to make it available for so many of these other areas that I learned so much about from reading the research um, of autism and, and Asperger's or, or certain, you know, I have a lot of reasons for being interested in those kind of areas. And I go, why can't this superpower technology that I have in my hands and it's so polished at this point be applied for so many areas? Um, um, and so, you know, I feel like uh, the, the person that should be running this company as a CEO sometimes um, doesn't follow my characteristics of keeping it too open. Um, when it comes to hardware, although I'm, I'm really a fascist uh, in the VR scene, you know, I, I, and that's what you kind of alluded to when the, the time of the three off uh, Oculus goes and the like, I, I really, I really despised uh, those headsets being so popular. Um, because, you know, 3 off to me, three degrees of freedom meant a, a glorified uh, 360 uh, player viewer. It had no rendered environments, therefore it had no embodiment, uh, therefore it caused nausea and all sorts of badly constructed environments. Um, there, you know, there's a lot less complaints about nausea 
ever since those three off devices uh, stopped being so popular. And then that gives VR a better impression as a high fidelity, high quality um, uh, simulacrum imitation of reality. And, and that's where the superpowers of this technology comes. It's, it's when there's a the device with two controllers or let's say hand sensors come, come into play maybe hopefully in the next couple of years. Um, however, the Oculus uh, devices are still the ones that we end up uh, focusing on um, in terms of a lot of the trials and pilots that we are trying to put together with our partners because of the price point, uh, unfortunately. But um, uh, this 300 or $400 uh, out here in Europe um, or $300 in the US, it's, it's really, um, it really makes a difference um, because people do have that uh, wrong association of VR devices being sci-fi tech that costs thousands of dollars. Um, whereas my particular preference um, uh, in a weird way is, is for devices like the HP Omniset that has, still has a, a cable, an archaic cable still connected to it. But I love that damn device because it's got physiological sensors connected to it, like people dilation tracking and heart rate variability, even skin connectivity. And we, we integrated all of those into our, our, our data infrastructure in such a deep way that our system has um, algorithms running like that can detect your cognitive load. We know whether you're bored out of your mind. We know if you're focused. We know um, if you're stressed out because of the physiological sensors. And so now VR is not just psychometric data combined with physical and postural and movement data, but also physiological sensors that can start to sense uh, and capture volumetric data sets about the human condition. Um, you know, so the applications of that suddenly like tickles me in certain ways that I even have a preference for these, you know, more high tech, more expensive, you know, $1,200 plus devices. Um, it really depends on the use case. It really depends on, on where we want to go. Um, one of the long-term visions of our company, just to kind of spell it out here, is to take those volumetric data sets, meaning around 300,000 data points every two minutes that we're capturing potentially of those three different levels, and generate with the help of AI learning algorithms, you know, potentially a whole new generation of digital health biomarkers that could detect in your cognitive performance data in our playing our games, perhaps um, you know, early detect, not just years, but decades before the early, early onset of cognitive illnesses like dementia. So, you know, that, that you can see why I'm so interested in those, in those, um, you know, physiological sensors, but it really depends on the partner and what they want to accomplish. And we figure out what it is according to what we have, um, available to us in terms of resources. This, this is a great segue because I want to, I want to kind of put a bow on this. This is, I think a great opportunity for you to kind of share an ideal possible open door partnership I, on this already in this season we've had people from pharmaceutical people working on uh, clinical biomarkers i mean it just seems as though whether it's care at home remote patient monitoring uh, all the ways that there we might be able to find value and draw value from virtually and have it play a critical part in the ecosystem where there are huge existing education gaps, which is at the end of the day, what this show's about, what so many people who listen care about, uh, filling staff shortages, reaching patients where they are, getting a better understanding of where the patient is at. Who might you wanna meet af after this? Um, who might be listening and uh, how can they find you, I guess is the best way to, to kind of wrap this up. I wanna understand how we can make things happen for Virtual Leap after this. 
No, thank you so much. Um, if anyone wants to contact me, I am uh, I'm a, a lunatic when it comes to using LinkedIn. Um, as as Tim really is a, a power user, or whatever the user level is beyond power, that's where that's how I know Tim. Um, by the way, for the last few years. Um, but LinkedIn, if you add me there, I will I, I will uh, accept. Uh, I, I think I have OCD about that. And um, otherwise, you can email me at amir at virtualleap.com. Uh, when it comes to partnerships, you know, pharma has been really an important use case, um, particularly from, um, you know, I was in Belgium a couple of weeks ago and I, I didn't really realize this point, but that in Belgium, at least uh, 75% of people with dementia actually live at home. They have caregivers or, 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 or their families in combination of the two taking care of them. And we just want to pilot a couple of months ago with Roche um, in which we are applying our solution as a remote cognitive monitoring tool. And I understand how important that is more and more as I see that kind of situation arising because we have special tools like a companion uh, applications like a remote control allows you to remote uh, remote navigate the experience from from a doctor's side or a clinic side from the person who's using VR at home and really in a seamless way. Um, but when it comes to those kind of applications of remote cognitive monitoring uh, in, in the age of pa pandemics, of course, being really, really an important uh, point of why we would want to enable those kind of use cases um, in terms of telehealth like that, or whether you would like to be able to run pilots in, in, in therapeutic areas that I haven't even mentioned. You know, we just had the, re the results of um, one institute here in, uh, in Portugal, in fact, that ran um, a five-week study on a group of university students with ADHD, and they found significant increase of, in processing speed. It's just a preliminary study. It's, it's, it's pointing to the therapeutic area of you know, attention deficit. But areas that we don't know about, areas that you would be interested, we're really, really good, I think, at being open-minded, at wanting to say hello, wanting to start a, a conversation, um, not having an agenda of trying to push anything around. If, if you're interested in this technology, if anything sparks in your mind, um, contact me and we can explore it together. I can share um, you know, more in-depth details. I can, I can lift the, the, the hood and show you the engine at a far more granular level and show you what the capabilities are and we can brainstorm together. But I really am um, very much oriented to being open to all therapeutic areas with a, a little penchant in, um, in towards uh, dementia and, and cognitive decline, which I think is the, the most pressing um, need uh, for our technology, at least um, in this immediate moment. Amir, thank you. I know there's plenty of people who will want to connect with you after. I'll make sure I connect those dots. Um, wishing you and the team all the best with all your trials, your studies, and the launch of the diagnostic later this year. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. It was good to catch up. Thank you for having me, Tim. And this is the first time I've actually seen um, your face in a live setting. So it's, uh, it's not just a, a, a pleasure to be on the podcast, but to actually, um, you know, be introduced to you for the first time. Likewise. Thanks, Amir.